You're listening to Simple Roots Radio, episode number 134, and today we're talking about why you don't binge on broccoli. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Schirm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. And now your host, Alexa Schirm. Welcome back to this podcast. My name's Alexa, and this is the place to get healthy, live happy, and find more joy. Today, we're talking about a subject so many of us feel the literal weight of, and that is a subject that isn't often talked about in regards to health and metabolism. That is the power of food addiction and highly palatable foods on our metabolism. Yes, we're going there and we're diving right into why are we a people so addicted to food? Now, I will warn you that if you struggle with an eating disorder or you have a binge eating disorder, please be warned that this could be a trigger for you. If you feel like this show would not be a good fit for you to listen to, do not listen. It is not worth that. We have plenty of other podcasts coming up on metabolism. We have a few to listen to. If you want to dive into metabolism, this is not worth it. However, I will encourage you that if you feel like you're in the right mind space, even if you do struggle or on the path of healing, I hope that you find that this is extremely valuable in continuing on that path because it's going to give you the understanding of how the power of food works on our brain, affecting every cell in our body, and how we can come to a good place with food and really learn that food is not the enemy. So again, just be warned that if this could be a trigger for you, do not listen to it. It's not worth it. So today in the podcast, we're going to dive into food addiction and how that's specifically working on our metabolism. Also going to uncover why you don't binge on broccoli. I mean, like, have you ever thought about it? Like, you don't see people binging on health food. And have you wondered why? Like, why is it so easy to binge on a bag of potato chips, but nearly impossible to binge on a salad mix, right? Like those two don't go hand in hand. That's what we're going to uncover today because it will help us understand the power that food has in our body and how making better choices actually sets this whole thing into motion and why quote unquote healthy people tend to be able to walk away from unhealthy food quicker than someone who maybe is just starting on this journey. It all has to do with our brain chemistry and how we're working that out. But here's the thing, the good news, The hope in all of this is that you too can get to a place where you no longer feel the power of binging, that you no longer feel the power of food addiction on your mind, and that you can live a healthy life without the drive to need to fill that void that food has been providing for you. So that's my hope on today's episode. But before we get to today's show, I want to remind you to go back and listen to all the episodes in this Metabolism series. I've had tons of great feedback on this series. It's helped so many of you, and I'm so encouraged by that. So if you haven't listened to the other episodes, they start with episode number 130, where we uncover why calories aren't working. Then we get all the way up into episode number 134. Of course, we fill that in with things like leptin and ghrelin, these hormones that are controlling our hunger and fullness. We also talk about the big thing you need to know about weight loss. Um, Just a spoiler alert, it's not linear. (laughs) And last week we had an expert on to talk about the black hole of fitness doom. So make sure you check all that out. And while you're doing that, just note that all of the show notes can be found over at simplerootswellness.com backslash, and then you insert 
the episode number. So today's show notes can be found at simplerswellness.com backslash 134. So in those show notes, you can get additional information and resources of those practical tips that I lay out here in the podcast. That is all broken down more clearly over in the blog. And while we're going through this podcast series, I've created a free download for you to take and apply to your life. So these are little tips that you could do. Gives you a little explanation of the tip, and then it gives you the practical way to implement that into your life. So over on the blog, you can get all the information for those, download those for free, and start implementing those into your life to see massive change. Because what I really believe is change always happens with the small things. And I want to start pointing out the small things that you could be doing to see great improvements. So make sure you head to the show notes to get all that information. And while you're there, I mean, I wouldn't mind if you signed up for my email list. I know I haven't been the most regular lately, thanks to life, endless snow days, and uh, a sick kid. But Everyone's life is like that, right? Anyways, I am getting back on the wagon and I have some really exciting things to share with you and some new products that I'm loving. So check that out. Again, you can sign up for that in the show notes at simplerswellness.com backslash 134. But for today, let's get right to the show because it's good. And before we really do get started with the actual science and the tips to help you do this, I do have one clarification of a huge misconception in the health space and the medical space, and that is the classification of food addiction. Now, I want to break food addiction down into two different separate things because I think that if we don't, we lead this destructive mental path of believing that food is the enemy. And that is a really, really dangerous place. It's also a really hard mindset to break. So I want to take a few steps back and I want to tell you that you do not have a food or an eating addiction. Yes, it's easy to term this binge eating and other things into a food addiction or um, I'm just addicted to food or I'm addicted to eating. But here's the deal. And this is what research has found is that you can never be addicted to a natural and necessary thing. It can't happen. That's like saying you're addicted to breathing or addicted to making red blood cells or you're addicted to smelling. Like you can't become addicted to anything that is natural for your body. It just can't happen. And like I said, that way of thinking can set you up for a lifetime of failure because it makes food the enemy. It makes you believe that you need to ignore hunger cues and cease cravings all in an effort to overcome your health problems. But again, this is not an eating problem. This is a reward system problem, right? Yes, you might be addicted to some food groups or specific foods, but you're not addicted to the act of eating. It might seem that way because of what those specific foods are doing inside your brain, but you are not addicted to the act of eating. But that goes to show how powerful addictive foods are, right? Like they can trick you into believing that you have a willpower problem. They can even trick you into eating unhealthy foods time and time again. Goes to show that if you think you want to start a healthy life, right, and you start eating all these healthy foods, it can actually trick you, right? This path that you've been on of eating highly palatable foods, high reward-based foods can actually trick you into getting back into that groove over and over and over again. And not to mention, they pull you into this massive addiction without even knowing it. 
I'm certain, I'm certain, I really believe that no one takes a drug in hopes of becoming addicted. I also believe that no one eats a food in hope that they become a food addict, right? Just like I don't believe anyone starts drinking to become an alcoholic. <laughs> this is all stemmed from the chemical process, this hijacking that happens inside of your brain that causes this to happen. Now, there are ways around this, but at the first step is just awareness, right? Like being aware that there could be a problem, but this is exactly what they do at the first meeting is create the awareness, right? But again, it shows the power of how some substances can hijack our brain's circulatory system and convince you to consume it even if it kills you. Like it works outside every instinctual biological system in our body, hijacking those precious circuits. That's how powerful some foods can be and we need to be aware of them. So remember though, it's not food nor the act of eating. So don't let yourself believe that. Instead, let's be on the same page that it could be a group of foods or specific food that interrupts your brain's chemistry leading to addiction. And this addiction is having a metabolic effect because addiction happens in the brain chemistry. So now that we have that, 10 minutes in, let's dive right in. So let's start by defining what is an addictive food. So how do we take food out of the equation and start to classify these quote-unquote addictive foods as they should be? So an addictive food is one that hijacks the brain chemistry and biologically drives us to consume more despite the detriment to the body. So these addictive foods distort the brain, just like any drug substance would, making your reality skewed beyond normal and leading you to crave it over and over and over again, even if it's killing you. So that's the big problem and and the big thing that we have to work to overcome. And I'm going to explain why all of this happens, because it all goes back to survival. And honestly, it goes to show that the human body is designed to gain weight and keep it on at all costs, right? Like our body's first purpose is survival and it will live in survival mode until it can absolutely believe that it doesn't have to. So remember, we have these these high reward value things going on in our brain and certain substances can feed those and kind of hijack our brain into doing them over and over and over again despite all these survival mechanisms. On the other hand, you have all these survival mechanisms leading you to want to gain weight and have a harder time taking it off in the beginning. So honestly, like, let's just break it down. It's not all of your fault why you may be overweight or can't lose weight. Like why you can't get your metabolism back on track. That It's not all of your fault. It's not just because of gluttony or overeating or laziness and all the labels that we try to put on it. It's so much more than that. You see, our body's weight control systems were designed to produce dozens of molecules that make us eat more and gain weight whenever we have the chance not to lose it. So like, it's really fascinating to me that we have all these systems in place and these molecules to kind of come in and override our system with the fear of not having enough. But on the other hand, we really don't have anything to slow us down or stop us outside of leptin and ghrelin and the case of overeating, right? And what we know about these addictive foods is that they actually hijack the leptin and ghrelin system, just like so many other things. And so those things aren't triggered. So what we learned about last week or two weeks ago with leptin and ghrelin and how ghrelin is our hunger cue, we kind of mentioned it in that podcast. And I said I was going to touch on it again here, is that ghrelin is released in response to hunger. So ghrelin is released in an absence of food and it signals to your body that it needs to stimulate hunger. But what we learn about ghrelin is ghrelin is only satisfied. It only goes away in response to 
a lot of nutrients, right? A highly nutritional food, a nourishing meal. It doesn't go away with high sugar foods or um, what we would call these high reward foods. So again, we kind of have this double whammy going on where we could have a lot of hunger going on, but all of these highly processed foods, right, aren't blocking the ghrelin or aren't taking the ghrelin away. So we're eating all this food and yet our body's still crying out for hunger because we're missing the nutrients, right? Like we don't have the nutrients to signal to your brain that things are okay. So yes, you can be nutrient deprived while eating an enormous amount of calories. Our body doesn't live based on calories. It lives based on nutrients. And the more nutrients we can provide, regardless of how many calories that is, the better off our body's going to be. That's kind of a side note, kind of got on my soapbox there for a minute, so bear with me. Because what we're going to talk about today all really boils down into one system in our brain called our limbic brain. Some call this our lizard brain, right? This is part of the brain that governs survival behaviors, creating certain chemical responses that you have no conscious control over. Like honestly, while you think you are in complete control of your mind, the truth is that you have very little control over the unconscious choices you make when you are surrounded by food. And we learned about this in the mindset series, right? Like the majority of our thoughts are happening in our unconscious mind where we really have no control over, so to say. So just a very small percentage of our decisions are actually made in our conscious mind, about 15 to 20%. The rest is made in our unconscious mind. And what they know is that we have very little control over those unconscious choices when we're surrounded by food. The chemicals in your brain are actually gonna overtake based on the situations that you've lived through in the past and the situation that provides itself right now. So the key to the healthy metabolism is learning what those responses are, how they are triggered, and how you can stop them. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. So let's start with what are highly palatable foods. So highly palatable foods are things in our food system that are having a high reward value. They stimulate the release of dopamine and serotonin, which are our feel-good hormones, right? So these foods, when we consume them, they react with the chemicals in our brain to create a reward behind them. Not all foods do this, right? Like, yes, the act of eating can create a reward value, but not all specific foods can do this. So just to give you an example of, again, why we don't binge on broccoli, this is a great example. So what we know about eating is that your body is going to release dopamine. Again, dopamine is a feel-good hormone we, or a feel-good chemical. We know that, right? Like, we've, we've heard about dopamine before. It's why people get addicted to drugs and other things. It creates this initial feel-good. We call this a reward response in the brain. And our brains are really driven based on reward. We have a lot of reward centers in our brain. Our brain loves reward. And so what happens is, is just to break down eating, we we tend to see two dopamine responses in the act of eating. This is newer research that they've just discovered not long ago. On the first contact of food, once food hits your stomach, it often releases a dopamine response. So you have a a, a spike in dopamine. Then that subsides until about 15 to 20 minutes after when your stomach becomes full, then you have another spike in dopamine. Now here's the kicker though. That first response of dopamine doesn't always occur. And this is the reaction to highly palatable foods. So we know the second response to dopamine, like the second point in eating when your body becomes full or satisfied, that is a response in the body. That's a dopamine response that creates that reward system. Like, oh, I feel full. I feel satisfied. You feel good, right? 
Now, the problem is, is that when we look and break down different foods, we see some respond or have a spike in dopamine upon contact and others really don't. So just to give you a backstory or the research behind this, researchers tested this on a bunch of different people in many different countries. And what they did is they gave two different groups of people different milkshakes. One milkshake really didn't have any flavor at all. So they just drank the milkshake, mostly ice, water, right? Um, And there was some nourishment in it, but it really didn't have any flavor. The other one was a creamy, rich chocolate milkshake. What they found with a group that was the creamy, rich chocolate milkshake is that the dopamine response and then initial contact spiked. Like it went up really high and then it dropped off and then it came back up after the body registered that it was full about 15 to 20 minutes later. Now what they found with a milkshake that didn't have much taste at all, there was no dopamine response released on the first contact. The only time dopamine was released was upon feeling full. So that again shows this research and what they're learning is that different foods can override the hunger and fullness signals. What they found is that highly palatable foods, those foods that release dopamine upon eating, right, like the first response of dopamine, those people were more likely to overeat because the reward system hijacked the hunger and fullness system. So what they found is that while that dopamine spiked initially, the second spike of dopamine was more drawn out. It was longer. Like people didn't feel full as quickly. They were more in tune to the reward of the food than the reward of feeling full or satisfied. So when they test different foods, right, we know that there are some specific foods that are highly palatable, that have a high reward response in the body. And we probably all know these, right? Foods that make you feel good, foods that you often go to for comfort or to help you uh, feel more emotionally sound, right, to lift you up, things that you enjoy. Those tend to be the high reward value foods. And we say we enjoy them because they make you feel good. And this is what's interesting to me is that just because it makes you feel good, it doesn't actually mean that you enjoy the taste of it. And I think that there has to be a distinction made. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. So just to give you an example, right? Why we don't binge on broccoli is because broccoli really releases no dopamine in the system. There's not a lot of reward there. There's It's it's not a highly palatable food. And you're like, yeah, amen. Like you didn't have to tell me that, right? Um, but broccoli is not a highly palatable food, meaning that you will consume it and you will stop <laughs> upon when your body feels full. And that's when you have that dopamine spike. So it's after eating. So other things that are highly palatable would be most vegetables, some lean meats. You know, we're looking at more of the quote unquote bland foods. On the other hand, highly palatable foods seem to be our rich foods, our high sugar foods. And nowadays, what really is the kicker with food addiction is our processed foods, our processed sugars, processed fats, and highly processed salty foods. Those tend to be the highest reward value. And again, I probably didn't need to tell you this because how many of us can like claim quietly while we're listening to this podcast and no one else is listening with us that we've polished off a bag of chips or we've pulled out the ice cream container and went to town with a spoon thinking a few bites would be enough. And eventually you just realize you ate the whole dang thing, right? Like we've all been there. We all know that highly palatable foods are hard to stop eating. And the reason behind this is because it hijacks your brain chemistry and your body's going to respond more on how you feel emotionally to that 
rather than your biological cues of, hey, I'm full. Hey, I have enough fat. Like it's hijacking all other processes, just like any other drug would, where you kind of get that quote unquote hit off of it that makes you feel really good. And you continuously crave that hit. And so when we look at this, and like I said, I don't believe that while highly palatable foods Yes, in some cases taste good. I think sometimes they don't taste as good as we make them seem. Instead, what you're experiencing is not necessarily the taste value, but the feel good value, right? Like the reward based on that food. So for instance, I was talking to someone who loves Starbucks drinks and I used to love them too. Now here's the deal. I really started to pay attention to how that food tasted rather than how it made me feel. And I don't have a ton of research that this has actually been studied, but in my mind, this is a great first step and awareness to this and recognizing like that doesn't taste as good as I've made it out to be. So for instance, I started taking Starbucks chai lattes that I love, but have so much sugar in them. They really do make me feel bad long-term. But initially, right, the warmth, the comfort, usually I've linked that drink to something fun, to being out with my family. You know, like there's a lot of reward just outside of the food itself. And so what I found is once I started paying paying attention to how that tasted, I started to realize like, this isn't really that good. Like, why do I give this so much power over my life? Why do I look forward to this as a reward in my life when I really don't even like it that much? And so the first step that I found in understanding this process was starting to recognize those foods that I know were quote unquote unhealthy, yet I still craved and didn't want to give up and started to sit to sit down and just experience them without any external trigger of reward value. So when I would sit down to work instead of when I was out with my family and I would really taste this and be aware of, do I really like the way this tastes? Like, is this really worth the reward that I'm providing it? Because if it's not, as good as it tastes, then why do I give it so much power? So as the story goes, I was talking to someone else who really loves Starbucks drinks and I encouraged them because I said, you know, a venti of that has more grams of sugar than two cans of pop. I mean, it's it's a lot, right? And I don't feel like it tastes as good as you're making it out to be. I believe there's high reward to that, but it doesn't taste as good as you're making out to believe. So I just encourage them to try it out. Now, I haven't heard back how it went, but I encourage you to take some foods that you really are addicted to or that you love and you aren't willing to give up even though you know they're unhealthy for you and start to just experience them for what they are in the moment, not the aftermath of the reward, but what they are in the moment. So I want you to try that and to start to be aware of it because here's how our brain works. First is that our brain is highly elastic and we're going to talk more about that at the end because I have some other pointers that you can do. But like I said, our brain is very elastic, right? It's it's very moldable. And so what we know uh, too about it is, like I mentioned, it's reward driven. It has many pleasure centers. So what happens with these foods that we perceive that our body likes is they hijack our body and they start releasing higher levels of dopamine and higher levels of dopamine always equate to higher gratification, right? Like it's a feel good. It's an incentive value. It's pleasure seeking all of those things that's in response to dopamine. Now this is going to create a gratifying behavior that is linked to your memory. So like I said, not the the drug, the food, whatever it is, the the shopping experience, 
it's not always just about what you get in return, right? Like it's not just about the thing that you're doing, but it's about the experience and the memory that you've created around it. So we know that we see this in some people who will have triggers based on their environment. Some things will trigger different cravings. So like maybe you go to your grandma's house and you smell something that triggers a response to wanting her homemade cookies. Like I think about the book series, like if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk to go with it. Or if you give a pick a donut, he's going to want some apple juice to go with it, right? Like we have these triggers of one thing triggers another memory, which triggers another memory, which kind of cascades down into this. So what we know is high dopamine responses actually trigger in our memory to want that food more. So when we go back to the brain, we know that the brain is moldable. It's plastic and the brain will be modified by the repeated act of overeating. So essentially the more dopamine that's responding, the more you're going to have a memory to that. And this memory creates our eating behavior. And the cues from the environment can trigger memories or the pleasurable experiences. And these pleasurable moments can lead to cravings and relapse. And this is where we get the addiction, right? Like this is the circle of addiction. And it all stems because our pleasure circuits are hijacked. There's been a cascade of pleasurable neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, GABA. And with this repeated abuse to the amount of neurotransmitters released, what happens is eventually you need more and more and more to get that feeling, right? Like that's why people who drink turn into alcoholics because over time, a little amount of alcohol just doesn't give them the high reward that they're looking for. So they need more and more and more and more like cocaine addicts, right? Like just like food addicts, a little bit of sugar can start to turn into you need more and more and more and more to get that feel good response. So here's a big point in all this, right? We have two groups of food. We have highly palatable, high reward foods that lead to a significant activation in the brain reward centers. Then we have our other foods, which tend to be lower calories, more what we call quote unquote real foods, and they lead to little activation in the brain reward centers. So again, it just shows the power of some food substances on our brain and how these can trigger and override any sort of willpower that you have or any sort of diet that you're quote unquote wanting to go on. And it could be or very well be the reason that you can't get healthy is simply because you're feeding too much into these dopamine or these reward centers and you're not letting your body kind of unwire from that addiction and go back to a normal state. So I just want to break down two big things that we need to stop doing or to be aware of because this is really leading to higher activation of these reward centers or these pleasure centers causing a bigger cascade. And then I have some ways to overcome this because we all want to know, okay, I get it. I get that this is highly palatable foods lead to overeating, even if our body is uh, signaling that it's full and all the things like it's hijacked the system. So we just keep doing it over and over and over, even if our body's not hungry or needing anything, which leads to weight gain, stress, all the different things, right? So two big things that we need to know that are causing this. Now, there could be a lot of other ones, but these are the two big things outside of our genetics, which we do know that, yes, binging um, and addiction can be passed down. Some people have more traits, more genetic markers for addiction than other people. So if addiction, it doesn't have to be food addiction, but any kind of addiction runs in your family, you are more likely to also be addicted to something. And therefore, what it also means is that you're more receptive to your reward centers. So you need 
to be more careful about what you let stimulate those reward centers because you're more likely to not feel the hit based off a little bit, but you need more and more and more and more and more. So it's just good to note your history and if you have any sort of addiction in your family. The second thing is, is when we see people starve themselves. So again, kind of going back to dieting, and what happens is if you eat less than your resting metabolic rate, your body instantly perceives danger and it starts to turn on these alarm systems in your body that protect you from starvation, also slowing your metabolism. Again, we talked about this in the first few episodes of the metabolism series. But what we know about the people in the past, right, and why we have these highly palatable foods or these high reward values in our brain is because in times of desperation, we need the drive to find something that's going to keep us alive. So back in the day, right, when we didn't have an abundance of food, when we were really in these places where we would go through phases where we wouldn't have enough and underabundance, what would happen with these high reward value foods is that we would see something that was highly palatable and your body would stimulate to eat more so that it could actually gain some weight to be protected in another time of starvation that was sure to come. Now I know that we don't have that anymore, but back in the day, some of these foods that were highly palatable, that really caused a spike in these food reward values that maybe we can even use to heal ourselves were things like berries and fruit in the summertime and dairy products and what we would call the quote unquote rich foods, right? Now, back in the day, they were getting all of these from natural sources, (laughs) Um, which don't have the same hit as what the food industry has done to us. Some call this food terrorism and that they've really created this problem inside of our brains. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But just to give you an example of like back in the day, they would do this. Like if you saw berries on the side of the road, it would want you to eat berries and keep eating berries kind of over hijacking your fullness signal so that you could actually kind of stockpile and start to store those as fat for the next period of it. Because again, your survival mode is the fattest lives the longest. So this was actually a really, really critical thing because the majority of the time people were eating low reward value foods, bland foods, lower calorie foods, and they needed those moments to kind of override their system so they could stockpile. Now we don't want to stockpile anymore. Like you're like, we're done with that. So again, Here's the deal is starving yourself or eating too few calories is actually going to cause your body to create a higher reward value or kind of unconsciously make you eat something when you don't want to eat it. And the food industry, like I said, it's they've been so brilliant at doing this to us. Like they know they've they've invested more money into studying how our body works and how they can hijack our brain to make you crave and become addicted to foods so that you'll continue to eat them than they have in marketing. I mean, they're legit on board with this and they know how to do it. Of course, I think that there's just awareness to it and the less that we eat of it, I mean, the food industry changes based on what we buy. So I'm all about the consumer being aware and making the right choices rather than just pointing fingers at everyone. Just because they're brilliant and figured out our minds um, doesn't mean we can't be smarter than them and I believe that we are. So what the food industry knows is that processed sugar, fat, and salt-laden foods are biologically addictive. Like we can become highly addicted to sugar. This has been studied um, with rats over and over and over again. Above heroin and cocaine, they've found that rats are more easily and likely to get addicted to sugar and are more likely to take a hit from sugar than cocaine or heroin when they're addicted. And so, yes, those highly processed foods, which is like the full food industry, chips, 
crackers, uh, bagels, <laughs> granola bar cereals. I mean, the list could go on on tons of frozen things, processed meats, hot dogs, all the things that you can really probably pinpoint and think those foods are really hard for me to stop eating. Those are highly palatable foods. I mean, they even create commercials because they know how successful they are at it. Like think about old potato chip commercials. I bet you can't eat just one or Pringles. Once you pop, you just can't stop. Like they know that you can't stop. They know that you can't eat just one and they don't want you to. They want you to keep buying their product and they've done a great job at it. I mean, clearly you don't see those things attached to broccoli or apples. Like they don't attach slogans like that to real foods because they're not highly palatable. They know what they've done and they know how they've created this issue of if you sit down and open a bag of potato chips, I bet it won't stop at just a few or a handful, right? Like pretty soon the bag's going to be gone and those potato chips, that saltiness is going to trigger a drive for sugar. And so you're going to crack open a can of pop and just like pizza, right? A lot of people can't have pizza without having Diet Pepsi. (laughs) Like there are all these food linkages that we've created based on reward systems. We look forward to this. We give food so much power over our lives and our mind and our emotional subset. Um, and really, we, we don't have to. That's not the intent of food. We are biologically wired to crave these foods and eat as much of them as possible. The next thing that I want to bring up is our emotional side. Because there, of course, there's an emotional side of addiction too. It's not only hijacks your brain signals, but it makes you feel good in the process. So we know that there is an emotional aspect because most of us are addicted to the feeling, not actually the food itself or not actually the drug itself. And this is where the root of addiction, the high reward value comes in. It doesn't matter what kind of addiction it is, whether it's food, drugs, or shopping. In many cases, we become addicted to the feeling that overrides the negative emotion we're trying to avoid. So not only are we addicted to a feeling, in some cases, we really just want to experience that high. But in many, many cases of addiction, we're really trying to fill a void. Clinical psychologist Dr. Mantrell describes the most common causes of binge eating to be anxiety, stress, or depression. He goes on to state, chemically, of course, we overindulge because it can feel great. Before regret sets in, the brain releases the feel-good chemical dopamine when we eat fat or sugar or drink alcohol or when we see new things. Once the brain secretes dopamine during binges, they become like a physical addiction. We binge more and more because we crave the rush of chemicals. This is also why we're studying how low levels of dopamine and serotonin, which is another happy chemical, lead to compulsive behavior like binging and depression. Stress and anxiety can also make people more prone to reward-seeking behavior because we crave the nice feeling that we get when we eat. So again, it shows the emotional power that we give food because it makes us feel good. So how do we overcome this, right? Like how, okay, we know now, like we, we've broken it down that it's not just a matter of willpower, but about the foods that we choose to eat and how some foods are actually overriding our body's systems, hijacking our brain chemicals, giving this rush and making food an emotional response in our body. Again, I think that's all more power than we were ever meant to give food. Yes, there is a high reward value for food, but it was based on our body's survival mechanisms. In time of starvation, we needed to stockpile things. Today, we don't. And if we would just do this, like I said, with real whole foods, this wouldn't be a problem. But today, it is a problem because processed food is everywhere. In fact, it's estimated that over 80% of our food environment is actually highly processed. 
And that makes things really, really difficult for us. But here's how some ways, some practical steps that we can use to kind of override this and overcome this. Like I said at the beginning, I think the first step is an awareness. So take your diet and look at the foods that you're eating. And I want you to taste them, to really taste them and see, is this worth it? Because in some cases, I don't even think that you like the food as much as you like the reward at the end. Of course, some foods taste really good, and that's where these other steps are going to come in. The second thing I want you to do is learn to handle your emotions and stress. Now, I say this because almost all of binge eating, again, comes from a void. And this has been researched, not always, but most often in the case of food addiction, we see it starting out as a void or a a need for a better feeling. So people who are prone to compulsive behavior tend in general to have more difficulty understanding their feelings and handling stress. Stress and emotional handling is got to be one of the most powerful effects of healing that we can experience. I'm going to talk a lot more of this later on this spring on the podcast because I'm actually doing some emotional work myself and I have over the course of years to help my body heal. It's really, really, really fascinating stuff. But here's the thing. The longer we hold our emotions in and the more we create this stress and anxiety in our life, the more likely we are to stay addicted to foods because it's the only way to get that feel good. One great way to overcome this is to start dealing with emotions. Maybe you sign up to see a counselor. Maybe you start journaling. I think journaling is one of the most powerful ways to deal with your emotions, to just start writing anything and everything that comes to mind and start freeing up some of those old bad thoughts, this baggage that's holding you back. Other things is to start self-care practices. And one of the reasons I, I fully believe that we have to have some faith in a greater hope of an eternity of a savior like Jesus, because that provides the hope in something bigger than this world has to offer. And without hope, it's really, really hard to find health. And so that's why I link that. So there are a lot of other things. So taking care of your soul, nourishing your mind, nourishing your environment and your body, and really, really, really working on those emotions. The second thing is, is to eat less high reward value foods, which means stop eating so much processed food. This is just another claim for why we need to eat more real foods. It's also why one of the best ways to kind of overcome these addictions is to add some more fruits and maybe richer meats into your diet so that you kind of get that response or it helps you come off that high so you're not just left hanging. Um, Of course, some people will tell you to quit cold turkey, just go keto, stop all sugar in general. I think that's a really dangerous game because our mind, our, our this drive for these addictions can hijack our hunger and fullness. And so it can make you eat even when you try absolutely not to. Um, it will lead to that because in our brain, remember, it's not just a matter of how much weight we have, but it's a survival thing. It's left life or death for our body. And the more we deprive ourselves, the more it becomes critical for our body. And so trying to overcome this this thought process that we can't eat things and instead start to desire to eat less of those, to fill yourself up, to get that dopamine response on filling foods, on filling whole foods that are nourishing to your body and start to reset there. So lower the reward value of food or the behavior and create, here's the kicker, create new positive behaviors based on those things. So for instance, going back to the Starbucks drink, right? A lot of times I just wanted that because it was comforting when we were out having fun with my family. So what are other things 
that I could do in that moment that would create the same reward response in my body that didn't have to do with a sugary beverage. So changing that up, maybe instead of going to Starbucks, we stop and everyone gets a treat at Target. <laughs> my husband thinks that's a really bad idea. But you, you see what I'm saying? Or just have the reward of paying more attention to the laughter in the car and just the experience of being with people because people can be its own experience, which brings us to tip number three, is that we can create a reward, a high reward. Remember, the brain's driven off a reward. Food doesn't have to be our reward. We can reward ourselves with people who bring joy to us. One of the reasons why food was supposed to be a social thing is because part of this dopamine response, part of this feel-good shouldn't just come from food. And back in the day when we didn't have a lot of high reward value foods like we do now, a lot of people got that satiety just based off of who they were eating their meal with. Like the experience of the meal is a dopamine hit in itself. So focusing more on that, I can guarantee that shoveling food in over the sink doesn't create a high dopamine response. Either does eating in your car or at work in front of your desk, you know, all those things. Like that's not a good eating response. That's not creating a happy feeling or an experience. So creating a better experience around eating can actually give you the hit without any of the excess calories. So you'll start to crave more dinner parties and going out to eat with your friends. And you'll start to crave sitting down as a family more, just sitting at a table to enjoy your food. You can create a drive to do that more than just a drive to eat. Number four, I think we're on, is reduce the power of triggers. So know some of your triggers. Last week, we talked about this on the podcast and the black hole of fitness too. Knowing your triggers. This is big because we all have different triggers, whether it's a bad day at work. Mine is, is when I'm feeling bad or my kids are really um, overwhelming and life seems to be suffocating, a lot of times I'll just grab things and I'll eat, right? Like I'll try to suffocate or drown my feelings in food. So many people do this. Like know your trigger, know if you're having a bad day and what you can do in response to that. So it's kind of being ahead of the game, being proactive rather than reactive, not just work constantly putting out fires, but um, knowing how the fires start and how to prevent that. Um, So know your triggers and really think about that. That is actually the handout for last week's podcast. So make sure you go and download that and that'll help you. And then number five is just create nourishing rhythms for your life. So what I mean by that is doing things like intermittent fasting, getting enough sleep, Um, creating a healthy environment, surrounding yourself with friends you like, maybe reading books, getting into a hobby, doing things you enjoy, moving your body, just everyday natural things and creating rhythms that are healthy. And in those healthy rhythms, you'll feel less anxious, less depressed, and you'll create more reward. You'll, You'll kind of recenter your dopamine. Plus, when it comes to sleep, we know that all hormones and all chemicals reset themselves at night. And without proper sleep, we are never doing that. And the less sleep that we get, the more dopamine you crave. Therefore, the more food that you're going to want to eat. And what I mean by food is not just food, because I can't just say that like at the beginning, but you're going to crave these high reward value foods. So get enough sleep. So critical. And the last thing that I just want to bring up is this is one of the rare podcasts where I say supplementation can greatly help. On Friday, we're going to talk about cravings. We're going to talk about some natural ways to increase dopamine in your body because if we could naturally increase dopamine, we wouldn't often need to find that hit, right? Like why depression, anxious, and highly worried people crave food as a medicine is simply because 
their dopamine is lower than it needs to be. So homeostatically, your body's looking to raise it. They can look to raise that in any way that it remembers you do so well. And in some cases, probably why you're listening to this podcast, it happens to be food. Um, And so how can we increase our dopamine levels naturally without using food to do that? So supplements can be a really, really great way to do this. There are a lot of supplements that can come in handy. And one of the biggest things, though, is just taking a multivitamin because being well-nourished to me is one of the greatest things you can do to your body. I think we, we forget about that in this race to count calories and count macros. Like we're living in this rat race that is causing us to forget that the most important part to our body is not how much energy we're getting, but how many nutrients we're getting. Because we get energy in a lot of places. We can get energy from being around other people, from the sunlight, from our environment, um, from saunas. Like there are a lot of places that we can get energy, but there's not a lot of places we can get nutrients. And so we need to get those nutrients from the food that we eat and why it's such a critical thing for our body. And so remembering that this process could be helped. The whole system of metabolism could be helped just by nourishment. So if you feel like you're not getting enough nourishment, which most people aren't, I just say supplement, right? Take a multivitamin. Use some adaptogens, which can be really, really huge. I like just basic everyday whole nutrients that you can grab. I'm going to link some of those up in the show notes. And then of course, some that could help you sleep like magnesium. I recommend magnesium to so many people. I give it to my kids. I think it's really, really fantastic one of the most critical nutrients that most people are missing. So I'm going to link all that up in the show notes, but it can be really, really big um, in this process of overcoming food addiction. Okay, that's it for today. I know that was a lot. Make sure you head to the show notes. We're going to lay out a little bit more and give you some tips, that quick tip for the week. Don't forget to go back and download all the other ones. Those are free. You can have those at your disposal. But remember, highly palatable foods are doing damage to our body. The best way to overcome this, to fix your metabolism is to seek lower reward value foods and find reward in other things and healthy things. And it's a slow progression, but the more you do it, the more you nourish your body, get the rest, exercise, the easier this is going to be because your dopamine level is going to be more even. Come back Friday because we're going to talk more about dopamine in a short podcast. I promise it's going to be so much shorter than this and give you five natural ways to reset your dopamine levels going to be really good, which really goes back to five creative ways to end cravings. And like I said, it's not food is not the enemy. It's not about not being hungry. Hunger is a good thing, right? We just have to use it in the right way. Anyways, this is a long podcast. It's kind of an overwhelming subject, but I hope that I broke it down into a simple manner that you could understand to really drive home the point that we don't have to be here in a nation addicted with food substances. We can't overcome that. Our brain is moldable. Yes, it's going to take discipline and some work, but if you follow the quick, short little tips that I give you over in the show notes and the things that I gave you here, it's going to go so much better. And that's the easiest way to do it because it works with your body instead of against it. And that's what we're all about. So make sure you head to the show notes at simplerswellness.com backslash 134 to get more information. And remember, this is exactly why you don't binge on broccoli, but you binge on potato chips. And the deal is, is that you can learn to desire broccoli even over those potato chips. And this, I hope, showed you exactly how you can do that. So make sure you head to the show notes. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for following along. Make sure you share this metabolism series with your friends and any other podcast that you've loved from Simper Radio. It's the best way that you can help me out. 
Drop it on Instagram, on Facebook, let your friends and family know about it. I would love it so much. Like more than anything, I want to just create a community of people who want health. They don't want necessarily weight loss, but we just want to be healthy for the sake of health, to live a nourishing life that you enjoy. That's what I want more than anything, to end the dieting and just live a realistic life, right? That's it, period. Okay, so invite your friends, tell them about Sunburst Radio, and feel free to email me at any time, letting me know what you love, any questions that you have. And make sure you follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram's at Alexa Sherm. Facebook's Simperitz Wellness. Okay, I promise that's it. Come back Friday. Make sure you listen to the past Metabolism series. There's so many more good episodes coming up. I think there's like six episodes left in this series. So stay tuned. Anyways, it's so good. I will see you back here on Friday.